Hello, and welcome to the reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Tuesday, February 13th, 2024. I'm your reader, Bill Petrosky. In local news headlines, police say woman supplied marijuana to teen who operated vehicle while intoxicated in Dubuque. Story by the Telegraph Herald. Police said a woman provided marijuana to a teenager who operated a vehicle while intoxicated in Dubuque. Emma M. Hammonds, 24, of Ashton, Illinois, was arrested at 4.37 p.m. Saturday in the 2400 block of Queen Street on charges of possession of marijuana with intent to deliver, drug distribution to a person under 18, and possession of drug paraphernalia. Court documents state that Dubuque police responded at 3.42 p.m. Saturday to the 2400 block of Queen Street for a report of a disturbance. Police observed a vehicle parked in the block and, quote, immediately detected a strong odor of marijuana emanating from the vehicle, end quote, documents state. The vehicle was running with 17-year-old driver and Hammonds in the passenger seat, documents state. Police advised the teenage driver and Hammonds that they would conduct a search of the vehicle. Hammonds told police she had multiple drug paraphernalia items and marijuana in the bags near her feet, documents state. Hammonds told police the items belonged to her and she had purchased the marijuana at a dispensary in Illinois. Hammonds also told police she provided the marijuana to the teenager and knew he was a minor document state. The teenager was arrested on a charge of operating while intoxicated. BizBuzz New Dubuque Mexican Restaurant on the Horizon. Longtime Platteville Hardware Store changes hands. BBQ Joint opens in Bellevue. Story by Nick Juice, nick.juice at thmedia.com. BizBuzz shares business tidbits from the tri-state area. This edition highlights Developments in Dubuque, Plyville, Wisconsin, and Bellevue, Iowa. Well-known employee of a former Dubuque restaurant plans to open his own restaurant in the same space. Las Margaritas owner and operator Christian Hernandez said he is fulfilling his American dream by opening a New Mexican food restaurant in the same in the former location of Salsa's, 1091 Main Street. He plans to open the restaurant in about two months after renovations are made to the kitchen and dining room. Hernandez is developing his own menu that will include recipes developed by his mom, Martha Hernandez, and sisters Cindy and Gloria Hernandez. Quote, the menu will be different than salsas, Christian Hernandez said. I will bring in more fresh-made margaritas to add to it and made-from-scratch meals for more of a home-cooking feel. The menu will include brisket tacos, tortas, and other Mexican street food staples in addition to various made-from-scratch dishes. Hernandez emigrated to Dubuque from Guatemala 17 years ago to be closer to family. He remembers soon after arriving walking to Salsa's to inquire about a job. He then was hired as a dishwasher. I had never done dishwashing before, Hernandez said. It wasn't easy, but it was something about the business, about the building, that I fell in love with. I worked my way up, and I went to Northeast Iowa Community College for English. Hernandez advanced from dishwasher to server position to eventually a management job at Salsa's. He said he is well-known among patrons for his margaritas, also his new restaurant's namesake. It's like my American dream, he said. Us margaritas can be followed on Facebook for additional updates. Platteville Hardware Store under new ownership. A Platteville Hardware Store is under the ownership of a new family after operating under the auspices of the Heiser family since the late 1800s. Hermson's Ace Hardware Platteville, formerly Heiser Ace Hardware, was purchased by David and Jessica Hermson in December from longtime owners Tom and Karen Heiser. The Hermson family has operated Hermson's Ace Hardware and Home Center in Bloomington 
since 1942, and Dave and Jessica purchased it in 2014. The acquisition of the Platteville store expands their footprint and will help them continue their passion for community involvement, Jessica Hermson said. We kind of have a community-minded approach, Hermson said. We like supporting our schools and churches and any of the other events that go on in the community. And so, I think for us, that's what it's about. Hermson said there's no comparison to the service provided by a small-town hardware store. The service that we provide is critical, she said. We assemble things, customers can purchase a grill, and we will assemble it. That service includes when people come in, someone will be at the counter to help them get paint colors right or help with all sorts of projects. We really win and shine with the service. Hermson said their well-known home center that operates in Bloomington will not be duplicated in Platteville, but they are making some additions to their new store, including new inventory, shelving, and an overall fresh aesthetic. They plan to bolster the store's lawn and garden, offering also its stock of Milwaukee brand power tools. Hermson's Ace Hardware in Platteville is open from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday and 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Saturday. It is closed Sunday. New Bellevue BBQ restaurant opens. James Frank's dream was to own a barbecue joint, and he recently made that dream a reality in Bellevue. Frank celebrated the move of Badash BBQ to its new home at 301 State Street with a grand opening Thursday. The business which involves his Frank and his wife Natalia and son Christian serves barbecue and accompanies sides from a food trailer parked at their house. For about three months, the trailer was parked in Savannah, Illinois, on land purchased along the town's main drag. However, it quickly became apparent that the location was not safe for the droves of hungry customers who patronized the eatery due to a lack of parking and water runoff issues. We had a huge following from Hanover, Illinois, and Galena, Illinois, all those little towns, Frank said. We had a following, but no parking. It broke my heart that I had to walk away from Savannah due to the comfort of customers. But Frank and his BBQ pit have found a new home, with ample parking included in Bellevue. Bad Ash Barbecue menu includes baby back ribs, pulled pork, brisket, baked beans, as well as macaroni and cheese, potato salad, and once the weather warms, soft serve ice cream. I just added pulled pork tacos to the menu, so we'll find out how popular that is, Frank said. Frank is taking classes and hands-on training from a variety of pitmasters to help hone his craft. He uses a large smoker built into the trailer and exclusively uses hickory wood to impart authentic barbecue flavor. I've been smoking meat for two decades, and I've tried every smoker on wood, propane, and gas, Frank said. I have a pellet smoker for my family, but I always go back to the old school. Just hickory logs and fire. Another item on the Badash BBQ menu, Frank said, is del- deceptively delicious, are the Jimmy Rolls, a dish created by his son, Christian. It's the most simple item on the menu, Frank said. It's pulled pork, and I added a four-cheese Mexican blend, and rolled it into a six-inch tortilla, and then I smoke it again. It's a double punch of hickory. The restaurant is a family affair. The three Franks are its only employees. I couldn't do it without them, Frank said. It's nice that my family supports my dream. It's not their dream by any means, but they are really supportive, and everything we make is homemade. Badash BQ is open 4 to 7 p.m. or until sold out Thursday and Friday, and 1 to 7 p.m. or until sold out Saturday and Sunday. More information about the business, including the full menu, is available at Jimmy's BadAshBBQ.com and on the business's Facebook page. Love that lasts. After 51 years, debut couple knows it all starts with love. Story by Michelle London, michelle.london at thmedia.com. For John Hitkin and Judy Sigworth, it wasn't love at first sight, but rather a growing friendship that brought them together. 
John was a senior and Judy was a junior at Wallard High School in Dubuque when the two met in 1968. We met at the cinema center, said Judy Hinkin, now 71. I had a friend who worked there, and John had a friend who worked there. My girlfriends and I would come there to pick up our friend, and his guy friend's group would come there to pick up their friend. The two groups eventually began hanging out together. There are quite a few of us that paired off, said John, now 73, but were the only ones that got married. It wasn't a love at first sight kind of thing. It kind of evolved. Apparently, considering where they first met, their first kiss was watching a movie at the Dubuque Drive-In. He had his arm around me, Judy said. That was the first time he kissed me. I remember that. Judy has memories of that kiss as well. John has memories of that kiss as well. I was shocked because I was very shy, John said, but there are certain steps when you're starting a relationship. That was the first one. Judy, John and Judy had been dating for about a year and a half when John got his draft letter for the Army. His father, a World War II veteran, and several of his uncles, also Army vets, advised him to go to the recruiting office and enlist in whatever branch of the military he wanted rather than waiting for his lottery number to come up for the Army. So that's what I did, he said. I joined the Navy. I asked the recruiting officer, what about this letter? He said, don't worry about it. John remembers the morning he left for his armed service evaluation in Moines before shipping out to boot camp in San Diego on emotional goodbyes from his parents and Judy, who accompanied him to the bus stop. I'm on the bus looking out the window, and Judy's on the other side of the window. I'm like, let's get this bus moving and make it easy. Soon, John was sent to Memphis, Tennessee, where he trained as an aviation electrician. Following his training, he was stationed at Naval Air Station Chase Field in Beeville, Texas. John and Judy maintained a long-distance relationship. She worked as an accounting clerk at the Telegraph Herald at the time. We never talked about breaking up, John said. We figured if something was going to happen that would break us up, it would happen during that separation. But it never did. With Vietnam War at its height, John and Judy hadn't talked about marriage because of the chance that John would be deployed overseas. But as the U.S. military began to stop sending troops to Vietnam, the couple started to talk about their future plans. When John came home on leave, Judy was anxious to pick him up at the airport. He'd, we had told his parents he was coming home a day later than he actually was because I wanted to pick him up, she said. I knew a proposal was coming. I just didn't know when. We had just gotten to the car, and that's when he proposed and gave me the ring. The couple married at the Church of the Nativity on April 22, 1972. Hintkins will celebrate 52 years of marriage this spring. After their wedding, they lived in Beeville, where John completed his military service. They returned to Dubuque, where they eventually bought the North End home, where they've lived for almost 47 years. They have three children, Amy Bowden, Tony, and Krista Fish, along with six grandchildren. Amy of Caldwell, Idaho, remembers a very faith and family-centered atmosphere while she was growing up. We went to church every Sunday, she said. We usually saw grandparents on the weekends. We had a big family, and we would celebrate everything. Birth, baptism, birthdays. My parents were always very supportive of everything that was important to the family. John endured being laid off after a short stint at John Deere Dubuque Works and the buyout of FDA food, FDL Foods, where he worked in maintenance for 19 years. He finished his career in the maintenance department of Loris College after 19 years, retiring in 2019. Judy's accounting career took off, took her from the Telegraph Herald to A.Y. McDonald Manufacturing Company and finally to Dutrack Community Credit Union, where she worked as an accounting specialist for 24 years. She retired in 2019. Amy said she always took note of her parents' easygoing nature, both with each other and their children. I always liked how they got along, she said. That's something I wanted, too. When I got into a relationship, they never said, I told you so. They knew we would learn our lessons through life experiences. John and Judy have traveled the U.S. visiting Myrtle Beach, North Carolina, Gulf Shores, Alabama, Mesa, Arizona, among other places, 
often traveling with two other couples who are good friends, but for the most part, they enjoy visiting with friends at home. I have a group of high school friends that still meets every week at the Big Apple Bagels for coffee, John said. We call ourselves the 69ers because we graduated in 69. Judy meets with her friends once a month. John still enjoys a round of golf or a good game of bowling on occasion, and Judy is involved with Evening Embers, a women's ministry that is a chapter of Theresians International. They also enjoy attending their local grandchildren's activities. They stay busy, Amy said. Judy said her philosophy for their long partnership was pretty simple. Don't sweat the small stuff, she said, and there's a lot of small stuff. We tell each other I love you all the time. It's not just a once in the blue moon kind of thing. John's secret is even simpler. It all starts with love, he said, and then you just evolve from there. Do you know a long married couple? Love at Last is a series highlighting local couples who have been married for at least 50 years. To nominate a couple to be featured in the series, contact reporter Michelle London at 563-588-5655 or email her at michelle.london at thmedia.com. Be sure to include the couple's names, city of residence, contact information, how long the two have been married, and their wedding date. Ask the TH. How did Dubuque police decide to ask the public for help with solving cases? Question. How does the Dubuque Police Department decide to ask the public for assistance identifying people in connection with crimes? How often do photos that are that are publicly shared by the department result in leads? Answer. The Dubuque Depo Police Department implemented the ID4PD program in 2013, said Captain Brendan Welsh. We wanted to find a medium where the public could anonymously communicate back to us, he said. So we implemented this program without knowing any other cities that were doing it. The ID4PD program is used when an officer has exhausted all other possibilities in solving a case, which is a reason photos and descriptions of the crime often lie weeks behind the date of the alleged offenses. Cases are reviewed before information is posted to make sure all leads have been exhausted. We don't want to be in the business of publicly shaming anybody, Welsh said. We want to be sure there are no other options for leads to solve the case without going to the public. We also want to make sure the images being posted are obviously not of a minor. Well said the cases publicized by the department are those that otherwise would not conclude with an arrest. These are cases that would not be solved, he said. When it is determined that a case is eligible for the ID4PD program, a press release is written and duplicated on the department's Facebook, X, and Nextdoor accounts. In 2022 and 2023, the, the police department used ID4PD 26 times in total. Of these 26 cases, nine people were successfully identified and eight of them were criminally charged. We have a 35% success rate, Walt said. It's not overwhelmingly high, but these are cases that never would have had a resolution otherwise. We're proud that officers are successfully resolving cases through ID4PD. Well said, the statistics of the past two years are a good representation of how the program has worked since inception. While there is not currently a monetary incentive for witnesses or those with information regarding a specific case highlighted on ID4PD to come forward, it is something the department is working on. Right now, people come forward because they want to do the right thing, Well said. We're not linked to Crime Stoppers, which is a program that rewards persons for information that solves crime. We're in the process of linking those two programs, but we're still in the early stages of how we're going to do that. Do you need an answer? Submit a question at telegraphherald.com slash site slash form slash ask under ask the, the TH via email to michelle.london at thmedia.com or by calling her at 
588-5655. Dubuque Sape, pedestrian hit, killed by a semi in Fenimore. Dateline Fenimore, Wisconsin. Authorities said a person was killed when he was struck by a semi-trailer, tractor trailer, on in Fenimore on Sunday. An adult pedestrian was crossing Lincoln Avenue at its intersection with 12th Street shortly before 7 p.m. Sunday when he was hit by a semi that was turning onto 12th Street, according to an online announcement by the Fenimore Police Department. The announcement does not name the people involved in the incident. The intersection, as well as a large portion of 12th Street, was closed until 7 a.m. today while authorities investigated the incident. Growing list of participating establishments for Dubuque Public Schools fundraisers. Razors. Three additional restaurants will participate in a fundraising effort to support Dubuque students. Happy Joe's Pizza and Ice Cream locations at 855 Century Drive and 1094 University Avenue and the Seven Hills Brewing Company will join the Dine Out slash Takeout for Public Schools event on Wednesday, February 21, according to an online announcement. Participating businesses will donate up to 10% of their sales that day to Foundation for Dubuque Public Schools. That donation applies to dine-in and take-out as well as delivery at some restaurants. Proceeds from the event will help fund grants for the Dubuque Community Schools programs. In addition to three new restaurants participating in established are Adobe's Mexican Grill, Blend Business Dining, Rorschach Cafe, Rorschach Businesses Only, Calico Bean Market, Carlos O'Kelly's, Carolyn's Restaurant, Chick-fil-A, Dairy Queen Restaurants at 2380, Gateway Drive, 4039 Pennsylvania Avenue, and 1260 East 6th Street Street, Dimensional Brewing Company. Donations will be made on gift card sales. Falbo Brothers Pizza includes donations made on gift card sales. Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers, Magoo's Pizza, Mario's Italian Restaurant, Nothing But Bunt Cakes, Old Chicago, Oolong, Asian Cuisine, Ponchero's Mexican Grill. 4 p.m. to close, Pita Pit, Pizza Ranch, Red Robin, Town Clock Pizza, Wendy's at 1255 East 16th Street and 810 Wacker Drive and Your Pie, 4 p.m. to close. Participants should tell servers and cashiers they are participating in the dine-out slash take-out for public schools. Galena Art and Recreation Center plans youth art class. Dateline Galena, Illinois, Galena Art and Recreation Center will host a youth art class this week. The Artful Afternoon Hand Sewing Softies class will take place from 11.15 a.m. to 5 p.m. Friday, February 16th, according to an online event announcement. Attendees will learn to hand sew, create their own pattern of a soft toy, and sew on buttons and apple cake. The class is open to ages 6 to 14 and costs $40 per student. All supplies are included, but attendees should bring a sack lunch. Free busing is available from Galena Elementary and Middle School to Galena ARC. Those who need transportation should indicate it on their registration form. Online registration is required at galenaarc.org slash art dash classes hyphen classes. Dyersville Initiative seeks books for families. Dateline Dyersville, Iowa. The Dyersville Campaign for Grade Level Reading is collecting newer, gently used books for use in the community. Books may be donated at local financial institutions throughout the month of February. Participating collection points include Citizen State Bank, Community Savings Bank, Dupaco Community Credit Union, Dutrack Community Credit Union, Fidelity Bank and Trust, and Midwest Bank. The books will be used throughout the year at local events, pop-up libraries, family literacy nights, and for families to build their home libraries through rural community food pantry. Local bank pledges $15,000 to Manchester Endowment Fund. Dateline Manchester, Iowa. Local bank recently pledged financial support 
to a Manchester Endowment Fund. Community Savings Bank pledged $15,000 to the Manchester Vitality Endowment Fund. Organized by the Manchester Vitality Leadership Team, the fund is expected to grant up to $25,000 annually for community projects and organizations. Recent projects supported by the fund include hanging flower baskets around Manchester and a gathering tree for the holiday season near Whitewater Park Shelter. Enter Manchester Vitality Endowment at gmail for more information or visit tinyurl.com slash m-a-n-c vitality for more information. Dubuque Woman sentenced for threats with baseball bat. A Dubuque woman has been sentenced to two years probation for threatening another person with baseball bat. Jamaria D. Logan, 19, recently received the sentence from Iowa Social District Associate Judge Robert Richter in Iowa District Court of Dubuque County after pleading guilty to one count of assault with a dangerous weapon. According to documents, the charge stems from a May 27th incident at Fazmart, 2175 Central Avenue. Police responded at about 8.55 p.m. that day for a report of a disturbance involving a baseball bat. A woman reported she was arguing with the cashier and then got into an argument with Logan, who was standing behind her in line. Documents state that Logan then went to her vehicle, came back with a pink baseball bat, and blocked the door. Logan initially dis denied displaying the bat. However, court documents state she later admitted to grabbing the bat, but stated she was not going to hurt anyone. The store's surveillance footage shows Logan coming in the store with the bat and standing near the exit documents state. Here is a look at local law enforcement reports. The Dubuque Police and Dubuque County Sheriff's Departments reported the following. Brandon K. Winfrey, 31, of 6151 Caledonia Place, was arrested at 12.20 a.m. Monday in the area of West 9th and Bluff Streets on charges of domestic assault, impeding airflow, domestic assault, assault causing injury, public intoxication, and interference with official acts. Peter R. Gins, 34, of 888 Cleveland Avenue, was arrested at 10.18 p.m. Sunday at his residence on charges of domestic assault with injury and public intoxication. Cody L. Haywood, 38, of Ottawa, Illinois, was arrested at 7.20 p.m. Sunday in the 200 block Mercy Drive on a charge of control of a firearm by a felon. Travis R. Bottoms, 34 of 2415 White Street was arrested at 12.43 p.m. Sunday in the 1200 block of Thomas Place on charges of domestic assault impeding airflow, four counts of child endangerment, domestic assault, false imprisonment, domestic assault with injury, and three counts of a violation with a no-contact order. Winter Arts Snow Sculpting Festival in Dubuque canceled. An annual Winter Arts Festival in Dubuque has been called off due to unseasonably warm temperatures. The Winter Arts Snow Sculpting Festival, originally set for February 7th through 11th and rescheduled to February 15th, 18th, has been canceled. Organizers at the Dubuque Museum of Art and City of Dubuque Office of Arts and Cultural Affairs announced Monday. The museum still will host the opening weekend of Picturing America's Pastime, a snapshot of the photographic collection at the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum, as well as kindergarten and eighth grade student exhibition. Police say three saw it in connection with Platteville robbery. Dateline, Platteville, Wisconsin. Police seek the public's help locating three men they said were involved in a robbery at a Platteville business on Saturday. Alexandra's Market on U.S. Business 151 reported an armed robbery at 3.20 p.m. Saturday, according to a press release from the Platteville Police Department. The release states, 
that three men entered the business wearing dark, hooded sweatshirts and ski masks. Police said one of the three men displayed a weapon and demanded cash before all three fled the scene in a white SUV. No one was harmed during the incident, the release states. Plainville Police asked that anyone with information about the incident contact the department at 608-348-2313. State Agency Investigating Death of Person Detained by Law Enforcement in Southwest Wisconsin. Dateline, Schulzburg, Wisconsin. The Wisconsin Department of Justice is investigating the death of a person who had been detained by law enforcement in Lafayette County. A press release from the Department of Justice states that Lafayette County Sheriff's Department deputies responded at about 1 a.m. Monday to a report of a person, quote, acting erratically on West Water Street near Iowa North, North Iowa Street in Schulzburg. Two Lafayette County deputies and a Darlington police officer responded to the location where they found a person, quote, yelling and wandering in the street, the press release states. The person resisted when law enforcement made contact with the subject, the release states. Quote, law enforcement deployed non-lethal means that were unsuccessful in an attempt to subdue the subject, the release states. The person ran from law enforcement, but later was detained, the release states. The person, quote, continued to physically arrest, resist law enforcement, end quote, and then became distressed, at which point, Law enforcement, quote, provided life-saving measures, the release states. Quote, law enforcement requested emergency medical services EMS who responded to the scene, the release states. The subject was transported to a local hospital where the subject was later pronounced deceased. No law enforcement officer who injured the release, the release states. The involved officer and deputies have been placed on administrative duty in accordance with department policy. The release states that law enforcement officers were wearing body cameras during the incident. The Department of Justice Division of Civil, Civil Division of Criminal Investigation is leading the investigation with assistance from local and state agencies. DCI is continuing to review evidence and determine the facts of this incident and will turn over investigative reports to the Lafayette County District Attorney when the investigation concludes the release dates. Department of Justice officials wrote in an email to the Telegraph Herald that no additional information will be released at this time. Church officials say Ash Wednesday should take priority and overlap with Valentine's Day. Story by Elizabeth Kelsey, elizabeth.kelsey at teachmedia.com. While many tri-state residents may be planning to celebrate Valentine's Day on Wednesday, February 14th with chocolates or fancy dinners, Local Catholic Church officials suggest parishioners choose a different day to indulge. This year, Valentine's Day falls on the same day as Ash Wednesday, which marks the beginning of Lent, the Christian season preceding Easter that traditionally is marked by fasting and sacrifice. Two also overlapped in 2018, the first time this happened since 1945, and will do so again in 2029 for the final time this century. Leaders of area dioceses, Churches and Catholic schools are urging worshipers to give precedence to religious observer, observance on Wednesday while also recognizing the importance of a different kind of love than romantic affection. If you think about it, God is the ultimate valentine, wrote Diocese of Rockville, Ford, Illinois, Director of Communication Peggy Weigert in an email. He loved us first and created us. The least we can do is love God right back by putting our energy into making a good land. Takes great precedence. Under Catholic law, Ash Wednesday is not a holy day of obligation, meaning that Catholics are not required to attend Mass on that day. However, members of the Catholic Church from 18 to 59 are asked to fast by eating only two smaller meals 
and one main meal on Ash Wednesday, as well as on Good Friday. <clears throat> those age 14 and older are also asked to abstain from eating meat on those days and on Fridays during the season of Lent. Diocesan officials occasionally will offer a dispensation of the requirement to abstain from meat. For example, former Archbishop of Diocese Michael Jackals last year announced a dispensation when St. Patrick's Day fell on Friday during Lent, and a dispensation was also granted for two Lent Fridays in 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But Chris Cranenberg, Director of Communications for the Diocese of Madison, Wisconsin, wrote in an email that dispensations are, quote, typically reserved for times when a day of penance falls on a solemnity, which is not the case this week. Ash Wednesday is an important day of prayer, fasting, and penance for Catholics, and takes great precedence in the liturgical calendar as the beginning of Lent, she wrote. Fat Tuesday or the following Saturday would be ideal times to celebrate with a special Valentine. Archdiocese of Dubuque Communications Director John Robbins echoed Cranenberg's thoughts. Robbins said he spoke with Archbishop Thomas Zinkula about the overlap of the two days. Zinkula encourages local Catholics to view the required fasting and abstinence as a chance to count their blessings, Robbins said. There's something beautiful about couples making time for one another and sharing a meal in memory together. But at a deeper level, this gives couples an opportunity to think of our blessings, give thanks to God for our blessings, and pray for those who have less, he said. The Reverend Phil Gibbs, pastor at Church of Resurrection, encouraged couples to view the circumstance as a chance to express their love through humility and seeking forgiveness. You are listening to the reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald on Tuesday, February 13, 2024, on IRIS the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Now let's turn to today's obituaries. John B. Wall, Miles, Iowa. John Bartlett Wall, age 60, of Miles, Iowa, departed this world peacefully on Friday, February 9, 2024, at Genesis East Hospital in in Davenport, Iowa. Surrounded by his loved ones, services will be held at Calvary Lutheran Church in Sibula, Iowa. Visitation will be Wednesday, February 14th from 3 to 6.30 p.m. and Thursday, February 14th, 15th from 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. preceding the funeral service at 10.30 a.m. John was born April 24, 1963 in Maquoketa, son of James R. and Beverly Bartlett Wall. He attended East Central High School in Miles and graduated with the class of 1981. John married the love of his life, Christy Kinmonth, on May 31, 1986, together they built a family and a life filled with love and laughter. He worked as a press operator at International Paper in Clinton, Iowa from 1981 to 2000. He then went on to Denisco slash DuPont slash IFF in Thompson, Illinois, where he worked from 2001 to 2024. He was an active member of the community, volunteering as a firefighter for miles and serving as an East Central School Board president. At the center of John's life was his family. He was a proud husband, devoted father, and doting grandpa. His warmth, wisdom, and joy he brought to every family gathering will be deeply missed. John's memory is honored and kept alive by his loving wife, Christy, sons Nathan, Amanda Wall of Dubuque, Iowa, and Nicholas Tierra, Hildebrandt Wall of Dewitt, Iowa, and one grandson, Weston. Father James R. Wall of Sibylla, Iowa, mother-in-law Ruth Kin- Kinmonth of Bellevue, Iowa, and other relatives. Catherine E. Powell, Dayline Platteville, Wisconsin. Catherine E. Powell, 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 
87 of Platteville, Wisconsin, formerly of Dickeyville, Wisconsin, passed away Saturday, February 10th, 2024, at Mercy One Medical Center in Dubuque, Iowa. A massive Christian burial will be held at 11 a.m. Saturday, February 17th, 2024, at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Dickeyville with the Reverend Greg M. officiating. Visitation will be from 9 to 10.45 a.m. at the church prior to the service. Burial will be in Van Buren Cemetery, Potosi, Wisconsin. Casey Nett Funeral Home and Cremation Services of Cuban City is serving the family. Catherine is survived by her children, Steve Lisa Powell of Sauk City, Wisconsin, Penny Jerry Richardson Powell of Galena, Illinois, and Tyrone Vicki Powell of Poinette, Wisconsin, her sisters, uh, sister-in-law, and grandchildren, and other relatives. She was preceded in death by her loving husband, George, and other relatives. Memorials in Catherine's name may be sent to the boys' town, St. Jude's Hospital or Shriners Hospital. Online condolences for the family may be left at www.caseymcnett.com. Melvin Dittmar, Scales Mound, Illinois. Melvin Dittmar, 90, of Scales Mound, passed away Saturday, February 10, 2024, at Galena Senior Care Community. A funeral service will be held at 11 a.m. Friday, February 16, 2024, at Sheffield Zion Presbyterian Church, Sheffield, Illinois where friends may call after 10 a.m. until the time of service. Friends may call from 5 to 7 p.m. Thursday, February 15, 2024, at Furlong Funeral Chapel, Glen, Illinois. The burial will be in Scalesmont Township Cemetery. Military honors will be accorded graveside by Galena VFW Post 2665 and American Legion Post 193. He was born November 12, 1933, in rural Scalesmont, the son of Ira Raymond and Alta Elsa Wasman Dittmar. He graduated from Scalesmont High School in the class of 1951. He was drafted into the United States Navy on March 14, 1956, and served until his honorable discharge on November 8, 1957. He married Patricia Kohler May 16, 1959, at Holy Trinity Catholic Church, Scalesmont, and she preceded him in death on November 6, 2022. He farmed for 55-plus years for Stanley Spud and Marion Davis. In his early years, he helped his dad at Case Implement Dealership and continued in his dad's footsteps as a Golden Harvest seed corn dealer. He was an avid Scales Mound sports fan, attending games his entire life. He was a collector of many things, including antiques, coins, collectibles. He was survived by two daughters, Dinah Scott Botch and Dixie Steve Birkbeck, and seven grandchildren and other relatives. The family wishes to thank Dr. Chris at Medical Associates, Galena Staus, Senior Care Community and Assisted Living Staff, and the Hospice of Dubuque. Your care and compassion will never be forgotten. Online condolences may be left for the family at www.furlongfuneralchapel.com. James D. Sherbring, Dateline, Colesburg, Iowa. James Jim D. Sherbring, 88 of Colesburg, Iowa, passed away at his home on Friday, February 9, 2024, surrounded by his family. Visitation will be from 4 to 7 p.m. on Thursday, February 15, 2024, at the Clifton Murdoch Funeral Home and Cremation Service in Earlville. Memorial services will be held at 10.30 a.m. Friday, February 16, 2024, at Goldsburg Community Church with Peter Bushman officiating. Ernournment will take place at a later date at the Zion Cemetery in Colesburg. Becky Bo- A. Bush Kasharik Dayline Dickieville, Wisconsin. Becky A. Bush Kasharik, 55, of Dickieville, died Sunday, February 11, 2024. Visitation will be from 1 to 2.45 p.m. Saturday, February 17th at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Dickieville, where massive Christian burial will follow at 3 p.m. Burial will take place in the church cemetery. 
Casey McNett Funeral Home Cremation Services of Cuban City is assisting the family. Nancy M. Leeshan. Nancy M. Lesleen. Nancy M. Lesleen, 68 of Dubuque, died on Monday, February 12, 2024. Private services will be held. Burial will take place in Linwood Cemetery. Leonard Funeral Home and Crematory, 2595 Rockdale Road, is assisting the family. Richard J. Bruning, Dayline, Mount Carroll, Illinois. Richard J. Bruning, 68 of Mount Carroll and formerly of Savannah, died Friday, February 9, 2024. A celebration of life will be held from 4 to 7 p.m. Thursday, February 15th at Manny's Pizza in Savannah. Law Jones, Funeral Home of Savannah, is assisting the family. Chad R. Hansen, Chad R. Hansen, 45 of Dubuque, died Sunday, February 11, 2024. Arrangements are pending. Eaglehoff Secret and Casper Funeral Home Crematories, 2659 John F. Kennedy Road, is assisting the family. Stephen S. Sprague, Stephen S. Sprague, 53 of Dubuque, died Sunday, February 11th. Visitation will be from noon to 3 p.m. Sunday, February 18th at Leonard Funeral Home Crematory, 2595 Rockdale Road, where services will follow. Here is information about area funeral services. Alberta M. Beck, Preston, Iowa, visitation 4 to 7 p.m. Wednesday, February 14th, Carson Celebration of Life Center, Makokata. Celebration of Life, 11.30 a.m., Thursday, February 15th, First Lutheran Church, Makokata. Tim A. Biederman, Dubuque, visitation 9 a.m. to noon Saturday, February 17th. Leonard Funeral Home and Crematory, 2595 Rockdale Road, service noon Saturday at the funeral home. Dale A. Heinze, Dubuque, visitation 3 to 6 p.m. Thursday, February 15th. Leonard Funeral Home and Crematory, 2595 Rockdale Road, service 6 p.m. Thursday at the funeral home. Marilyn A. Hughes, Dubuque. Visitation, 10 to 10.45 a.m. today at Church of the Nativity. Mass of Christian Burial, 11 a.m. today at the church. Marion C. Malder, Dubuque. Visitation, 9.30 to 10.45 a.m. today, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Service, 11 a.m. today at the church. Deborah L. Morgan, Dubuque. Visitation, noon to 1 p.m. today, Hoffensteiner and Kitchen Funeral Home and Crematory, 3860 Asbury Road. Service 1 p.m. today at the funeral home. Mark O. Laughlin, Cincinnati, Wisconsin, Wake at Funeral Mass, 10.30 a.m. Friday, February 16th, St. Dominic Villa Chapel, Hazel Green. Irene J. Strife, Lancaster, Wisconsin, Visitation 10 to 11 a.m. today, St. Clement Catholic Church, Lancaster, Mass of Christian Burial, 11 a.m. today at the church. Randy E. Wold, Dubuque, Visitation 3 to 6 p.m. today with a prayer service at 6 p.m., Leonard Funeral Home, Funeral Home and Crematory, 2595 Rockdale Road. Here's a look at other area news. Free infant care available to eligible Dubuque area families. Free infant care could be available to Dubuque area families at two locations. The services are provided to eligible family by the Hawkeye Area Community Action Program's Head Start Program, according to a press release. The services are available at Marita Tyson Head Start, 1584 White Street and Dyersville, Iowa. Head Start, 750 5th Street North. Head Start slash Early Head Start promotes the school readiness of young children from birth to age 5, according to the release. Contact HACAP Dubuque County Outreach Office at 563-556-5130 or visit HACAP 
org slash head start for more information. Testimony concludes as deliberation nears in Jackson County murder trial. Story by Grace Nyland, grace.nyland at thmedia.com. Dayline McCulkin, Iowa, after four days of testimony from over two dozen witnesses, prosecuting and defense attorneys on Monday both rested their cases in the Jackson County murder trial of an area man accused of killing his wife. Christopher E. Pritchard, 58, of Bellevue, Iowa, is on trial for first-degree murder and first-degree robbery in the fatal shooting of his estranged wife, Angela Pritchard, 55, who was found dead of an apparent gunshot wound on October 8, 2022, at her Bellevue business, Mississippi Ridge Boarding Kennels. Prosecutors allege Pritchard shot and killed his wife after the relationship deteriorated to the point of her seeking a protective order against him. The defense has argued the shooting was an accident. On Monday, prosecutors called their last of several witnesses, marking 27 in total since the trial began last week. Special agents Ryan Kedley and Dustin Henningsen, both of the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation, testified about initial interviews conducted with the defendant in the days following Angela Pritchard's death. According to interview recordings played at the trial, Christopher Pritchard acknowledged being at the kennels on October 8, 2022, but said the gun that shot Angela Pritchard went off by accident. He also said he did not know her wound was life-threatening. Kelly on Friday disputed the version of the events, however, given the severity of the injuries Angela Pritchard sustained. On Monday, he returned to testify further to further discuss inconsistencies in the defendant's story and cross-examination by Pritchard's defense team. Kedley testified that across interviews, Pritchard's reasoning for being at the kennels changed considerably from going there to warm up after going coyote hunting to later saying he went there to take money from Angela Pritchard's purse without her noticing. Kedley confirmed upon cross-examination, however, that Christopher Pritchard never expressed a desire to hurt his wife and the retelling of events that transpired on October 8, 2022. Quote, with regard to his intentions with the gun, he continued to deny any sort of intention to harm or scare Angela, end quote, Kedley said. Pritchard also told Kedley and Hemming Henningsum in initial interviews that he had not meant to shoot Angela Pritchard. They had only seen a few drops of blood along her arm before he left the scene, according to investigators' testimony. However, prosecutors later showed jurors a drawing seized from a piece of outgoing mail, Pritchard pens of the county jail that included what investigators said was a diagram of the crime scene, with a woman laying face down in a pool of blood. Clothes, clothing identified as the outfit Pritchard wore on the day of his wife's death tested positive for the presence of blood and DNA from Angela Pritchard, according to DCI criminalist Car Carly Schneider, who tested the items. The DNA profile developed matched the known DNA profile of Angela Pritchard. The probability of finding this profile in a population of unrelated individuals chosen random would be less than 1 out of 32 octillion Schneider set of one sample. One octillion would be written as a number one followed by 27-0, Schneider later explained. Upon cross-examination, she confirmed the tests only showed the presence of Angela T Pritchard's DNA, not how long it had been there. Retired criminalist and firearm inspector Victor Murillo then testified to the condition of the gun purportedly used in the incident. Christopher Pritchard told investigators the shotgun had discharged accidentally when it shot. Angela Pritchard. Morello said upon inspection that the gun had no mechanical issues and appeared to be in good condition. After prosecutors rested their case, Christopher Pritchard took a break to confer with his attorneys. Upon return, 
He waived his right to testify in his own defense, and his attorneys rested their case without calling any witnesses. Jurors will return at 10 a.m. today for jury instructions and attorneys' closing arguments before jury begins deliberation. Live updates to the openings will be Open proceedings will be posted online at twitter.com slash telegraph herald. Dubuque man sentenced to 20 years in prison for multiple sexual assaults. Story by Maya Bond, maya.bond at thmedia.com. A judge on Monday sentenced a Dubuque man to 20 years in prison for sexually abusing four people over the course of multiple years. John T. Laida, for 34, previously pleaded guilty in Iowa District Court of Dubuque County to charges of three counts of third-degree sexual abuse, including one count with a child victim and one count of lascivious acts with a child. As part of his plea deal, charges of second-degree sexual abuse and two conditional counts of third-degree sexual abuse were dropped. Iowa District Judge Thomas Bitter ordered that Laida serve 10-year sentences concurrently with each sexual abuse charge. He also was sentenced to 10 years on the lascivious acts with a child charge, which will be served consecutively with the sentence on sexual abuse charges. Court documents state Laida sexually assaulted a girl under age 16 multiple times between July 1, 2021 and October 24, 2022, and a 29-year-old woman multiple times in 2019 at a Dubuque residence. Court documents also state that Laida sexually assaulted a 22-year-old woman he knew approximately three times at a Dubuque residence. The most recent assault was in the fall of 2022. During a May 2023 deposition that connected to the case, an individual stated the girl younger than 15 disclosed she had also been sexually assaulted by Laida. Document states, the girl was interviewed at St. Luke's Child Protection Center in Hiawatha, Iowa, where she detailed the incident. Document state, Assistant Dubuque County Attorney Josh Sims argued for all the sentences to be run consecutively, which would have resulted in a 40-year prison sentence for each of the four people Laida abused. I think all of them, that those cri are crimes that deserve to be punished harshly and deserve to be punished individually for each separate victims, he said. That, I believe, is what the community would expect and what sends the proper message regarding general deterrence within our community. Laida's attorney, Chris Raker, contended that Laida is remorseful and would like to be the opportunity to become a productive member of society. I also see Laida as a person with the potential, and I don't see him as predatory, Raker said. Laida addressed Bitter and apologized for the crimes he committed, saying he learned from his mistakes. I will do better, Laida said. Give me a second chance so I can see my family because I miss them a lot. He is required to register as a sex offender and will be on parole for life when he is released. Maya Bond, who wrote this story, is a report for America Corps member. Breakfast fundraiser hopes to collect $10,000 for a new cross effort. A breakfast being held this month aims to raise funds for efforts to replace the Centennial Cross in Key West. The Knights of Columbus will hold the event from 7.30 to 11.30 a.m. Sunday, February 18th at the St. Joseph Catholic Church basement at 10204 Key West Drive. Breakfast will feature sausage, pancakes, eggs, and applesauce. The price is $12 for adults, $6 for children, ages 6 through 11, and free for kids aged 5 or younger. Organizers plan to match proceeds to donate $10,000 to the effort to replace the Centennial Cross, which was built in 1937, according to a release. Centennial Cross Incorporated, the nonprofit form to manage the construction of the cross, is raising $350,000 to build a cross that will be 137 feet tall with LED lighting.
Area man sentenced to federal prison for fraudulent use of social security card. Dayline Cascade, Iowa. Man residing in Cascade recently was sentenced to 99 days in prison for using another person's social security number. Diego Nava Barrios, 37, received the sentence from U.S. District Court Judge C.J. Williams after pleading guilty to one count of unlawful use of an identification document, according to a news release from the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Northern District of Iowa. The release states that Navos Nava Barrios, who was originally from Mexico and immigrated to the U.S. illegally, admitted to fraudulently using Social Security card to prove his authorization to work in the U.S. at three Northeast Iowa businesses in 2016. The card was real but belonged to another person, according to the release. Police say intoxicated driver leads officers on chase, crashes into pole and abuse. Police said a driver crashed into a utility pole while leading authorities on a chase that reached 60 miles per hour in its 30 miles per hour zone in Dubuque. Anthony McKee, 45 of 2555 Central Avenue, number 4, was arrested at 12.22 p.m. Saturday in the 1100 block of Walnut Street on charges of felony looting, second offense operating while intoxicated, and interference with official acts. Court documents state the police attempted to stop McKee's vehicle for expired registration at approximately 12.13 p.m. Saturday in the area of Dill and Arlington Streets. McKee's vehicle briefly stopped before driving away at a high rate of speed, documents state. During the pursuit, McKee's vehicle struck a utility pole near the intersection of Loris Boulevard and Prairie Street, documents state. The vehicle continued driving at high rate of speed, with officers following at the posted speed limit. McKee's vehicle was located in the area of Race and Rose Streets. McKee ran from the vehicle and eventually was apprehended in 1100 block Walnut Street, documents state. Officers observed McKee to have slurred speech, red watery eyes, and an odor of an alcoholic beverage emanating from his mouth, documents state. McKee also was cited with multiple traffic violations. Authorities say driver leads deputy on chase after traveling 100 miles per hour on northwest arterial. Authorities said a driver traveling in excess of 100 miles per hour on northwest arterial led law enforcement on a chase in Dubuque. Tyler K. Jones, 25 of 2004 Broadline Road, was arrested at 12.45 a.m. Saturday in the 10,000 block of Collision Drive on a charge of eluding. Court document states that a Dubuque County Sheriff's Department deputy observed Jones' vehicle traveling faster than 100 miles per hour in the 50-mile-per-hour zone on northwest arterial at approximately 12.20 a.m. Saturday. The deputy attempted to stop Jones' vehicle, which slowed to between 50 and 60 miles per hour, but would not stop documents. Jones' vehicle eventually turned onto John F. Kennedy Road and then turned into a parking lot on Collision Drive, Document State. He exited the vehicle and was arrested. He was also cited with multiple traffic violations. Here's a column by Amy Gilligan, Telegraph Herald, Executive Editor. The headline is Cheers for Local Journalism and Fish. It's that time of year again when we find out how our work at the Telegraph Herald stands up against our peers. The Iowa Newspaper Association's Better Newspaper Contest for 2023 was judged by the Illinois Press Association, and winners were announced at a banquet Thursday night. We brought home nearly 20 awards, and our sister publications, Dyersville Commercial, Cascade Pioneer, and Manchester Press also took home several awards each. One of the best things about this honor is that all the journalists in our news newsroom contributed, as well as our advertising and marketing departments. We won awards for writing, photography, social media use, layout and design, headline writing, and our premium magazines. One I'm particularly proud of was a second place win in the category of community leadership for our Make to Be Better series of community conversations highlighting diversity, equity, and inclusion topics in partnership with the 
Community Foundation of Greater Dubuque and Local Businesses. That seven event series really brought forth some great community discussions and I love being a part of each one. Mike Day, a 36-year employee of TH, got well-deserved honors for a premium magazine we published last year, The Tri-States, Ballrooms, and Bands, which Mike painstakingly researched and produced and readers loved. Another of our magazines, in their own words, also placed in the category. So two of the three best magazines in the state last year's were ours. Ballroom and Bands is still available at TH and at, at store.telegraphherald.com. And watch for another Mike Day Nostalgia magazine coming in April. It's far hard to find words to say how proud I am of this team. Often I use this column space to highlight the work we're doing and clang the bell for community journalism. I believe it's absolutely that important. You've read the coverage we've done holding elected officials accountable, digging to find truths behind their bureaucracy, tracking the spending of your taxpayer dollars. You see us every week reporting on new and expanding businesses growing in our area and highlighting people who are making a difference in our community doing good works. We know there are great things happening in Dubuque and the Tri-State area, and we tell those stories every day. That is our mission, and I see how hard our team works to achieve it. I am grateful to the hard-working journalists I have the privilege of working alongside every day, and to everyone in the, every department in the TH who contributes to delivering our fine product to our readers. Cheers to you! as well, and thank you for reading the Telegraph Herald. Also, enough about the fish wrapper, let's talk about the fish. In February, as Midwest teases into us into believing that spring is right around the corner, we know there will be more bone-chilling days, icy sidewalks, and snowdrifts ahead. Yes, today is Fat Tuesday, and plenty of people will be celebrating with abandon. But in our corner of the little corner of the world, we know just importantly, tomorrow marks the beginning of Lent, that means the official green flag of fish fry season. Tomorrow's TH carries a story about the grand tradition that is winter fish fry. We created a handy Danley online map that will tell you where and when a bunch of area fish fries are happening. You could even add one if you know one we missed. Check it out at telegraphherald.com slash fish. And that does it for today's reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Tuesday, February 13th, 2024 on IRIS. The IRA Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. I'm your reader, Bill Petrowski. You can access a recording of today's reading on your, the website iowaradioreading.org at any time. Thank you very much for listening.